Good morning. It's so great to see you all here this morning. Man, we got to stop doing that one before I get up to speak because my voice is literally about to go. Uh, my name is Robbie. It's my distinct privilege and honor to be able to uh, be the pastor of this amazing church. And we're so glad to see you here this morning. And uh, we're just so excited for what God's going to do in this house. Uh, we're so excited for what's going to happen in these next moments together. I believe that you're here for a reason, for a purpose, that God has brought you here today for something specific to hear a word. Maybe it's through the music that's already been done, the music that's going to come later. Maybe it's as we dive into God's word this morning. Maybe it's through an interaction that you have with somebody, uh, somebody just speaking truth and love into your life. Maybe the Holy Spirit puts something specifically directly into your heart, into your soul this morning, and he just speaks to you. And uh, no matter what, I pray that we are expectant for God to show up and to be in this house, to be speaking into our hearts and into our lives. I, I pray that we are ready to hear the word of God this morning. So would you pray with me as we dive in? God, we thank you so much for what's already happened as we've sung praises, as we've shouted, as we've just praised your name here in this house, God. And I pray that as we open your word, that we will just have that same excitement, that same expectancy for you to show up and Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and in our lives. Speak to us through your words here this morning. We trust in you. We believe in you. We give you all that we have and all that we are here this morning. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Whew. Man, my voice may go halfway through this. I, I feel like it's on the cusp. Um, hope. We're talking about hope uh, here this morning. It's absolutely essential to life. Um, we, we, we're actually walking through the book of 1 Peter. We just started it last week. And so the title of the message for last week was Hope is Alive. Uh, we didn't make it all the way uh, through where we were going. So the title of the message this morning is also Hope is Alive or Hope is Still Alive. If you want to, uh, you know, put some delineation in your notes, uh, however you want to do it. Um, the, hey, I can see everybody now. Look at that. Look at that. You're all out there. Uh, there's a doctor from, a Harvard, from the Harvard Medical School who wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope. His name was uh, Dr. Grootman, uh, for what it's worth. And he found that he, when he diagnosed patients with serious diseases, all of them were looking for a sense. This is his words, a sense of genuine hope. And indeed, that hope was as important to them as anything that he might prescribe as a physician. And he also writes this. This is a, this is a, a, a medical doctor. Uh, this, is, this is Harvard, not a Christian institution. This is this is just very scientific scientific type book and paper. He writes this, we cannot live without hope. Humans cannot live without hope. Even with all the medical technology available to us now, he says, we still come back to this profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the present. All right, now this is all the more important whenever we face like struggles, whenever we face overwhelming times of hopelessness, moments when it seems like the world is against us and when it feels like we have no control over our present, uh, past, present, or future circumstances, whenever we have no idea what's going on, what's going to happen to us. You know, really, I think about that's what happened to Mary Magdalene, right? She was experiencing this, this, uh, this profound hopelessness whenever she walked up to the tomb of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. Whenever she was walking up, she probably had this, that she was shedding tears of hopelessness, despair, frustration. Jesus had healed her from, from her demon possession and, more importantly, had shown her how to have peace with God. He had made so many promises, said so many good things, performed so many miracles, but now he was dead. And all the things of, of that they died with him. She wasn't alone. 
in the feeling of, of hopelessness. She wasn't alone whenever she thought that all hope was lost. You see, uh, the, the disciples, the, the, the disciples had given up everything. They had left their homes. They left their families. They left all their possessions behind to follow Jesus. They watched as the crowds flocked to Jesus while he was teaching. They listened as he taught like no one ever had before him. They watched in awe through his, at his miracles, at his healings, at all the different things that he did during his ministry. They heard his claims that God was his father, that, that he was one with God, and that they had come in to usher God's kingdom on earth. And as he was crucified, I think they still held out hope that he would be delivered. That in those moments, he would call down the, 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 the heavenly armies, the angel armies, and they would come and they would take care of it all. But then it happened. Scripture tells us that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. And with him, their hope died too in those moments. We've all been there, haven't we? I mean, we've all, we've all been in this, these moments where, where it feels like all hope is lost. There's no silver lining at all. I know we've been there. I know most of us, if not all of us, have been there. Moments when the world seems like, honestly, a very cool place. A place of broken promises, of, of unsuspected diagnosis, of, of unfulfilled dreams, of unthinkable betrayal or lies, of devastating disappointments like when it seems like all the cards are basically stacked against you we have absolutely no control over what's happening without warning we find ourselves wrapped in hopeless hopelessness and despair how can we possibly be expected to to proceed on with life in that way how can we be expected to face such situations and overcome them as with Mary and the disciples, our only hope is bound up in the name of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The only thing that can bring hope to a hopeless situation is Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that can bring joy where there is sadness. <clears throat> He's the only thing that can bring life where there is nothing but death. He's the only thing that can give you optimism when it seems like you're defeated. And, the, and, and it's through the power of the resurrection alone. He is risen. Can somebody praise Jesus this morning because he's risen? Come on, that's where our hope comes from. That's the hope we're talking about. The hope of Jesus Christ, the hope that only he can give us. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to give ourselves that hope, to, to project forward in the future like the way that he can. And the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me to be used in our life and in the circumstances that we face. Hope, it's a word that we throw around a ton. We talked about it a little bit last week about kind of the different ideas with hope and we throw it around really casually like, man, I hope these lights work. I hope they stay on. You know, I hope things happen. You know, I hope I, hope I feel better. I hope, I hope I'm not going to be sick tomorrow. I hope I'm not, you know, I hope I get this promotion at work. We, we throw around this word hope. And really the true essence of the word gets lost. The hope the world offers is based on our wants and our desires. Last week we called that basically wishful thinking. That's, that's really what that definition of hope is. It's just wishful thinking. It's, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'd like to see it come about, right? I'd like to see this actual, this thing happen. We don't know, but we'd like to see it. We, we hope so. But the hope the scripture talks about is different. The hope, this hope is an expectation based on the truth and the promises of God. That's where this true hope comes from. This hope is more like I know so, we said last week. I know so. 
I know this is what's going to happen, and I'm just waiting for it to actually come about. This hope is eternal. It won't fail us. Hebrews 6.19 says we have this hope. It's talking about the promises uh, uh, and purposes of God. It says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What a great image that is, an anchor for the soul. This, this hope is holding us down. This hope is keeping us secure. It's keeping us safe. It's, it's, it's guiding our path keeping us firm and secure. The hope that God offers is something to build on. It's an anchor to hold us, and it keeps us from drifting after this and that. It's the rock. It's the rock on which he built his church. It's the rock on which we stand in a truth that cannot be moved or shaken. It's forever bound up in the resurrection of Christ, which took a, a cross and a tomb, the very symbols of death, despair, hopelessness, and turn them forever into a symbol of life and hope, no matter what we face. Hope allows us to see what others can't. It's hope in Jesus who is life, hope knowing that through him and in him, that even though that we have tears right now, there's laughter coming. Even though there's pain right now in our current season, there's healing coming. That's where this hope is coming from. That's what this hope is all about. Last week we covered the intro of the letter. First Peter, this is a, uh, a letter that, that Peter wrote to uh, the churches that were kind of dispersed across um, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, so he wrote this letter, and he, it was going to bounce around between a few different churches, but he wanted to, to share some things with them. He, the Holy Spirit led him to, to write these words down, and so we covered his intro, and we're not going to go back, but we, we are going to read just a few verses into the, the, the content that we covered last week, just so I want to help us with context here. And so we're going to start uh, First Peter Chapter 1, uh, we're going to read 3 through 5. We did cover this last week, and so we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but uh, we just want to touch on it for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is so much there, and, and we unpacked some of it. We unpacked a lot of it, but we, we don't have time to unpack it anymore necessarily today. Uh, but our topic is similar today. We're talking still about hope, but not just hope, a living hope, the Word of God says. I love that, a living hope. This is not a dead hope. This is not a written hope. This is not something that, that we just casually find. This is a living, breathing hope in the person and, and Godhead, Jesus Christ, right? This is a living hope. So it's um, a hope that's full of life, a hope of Im immortality uh, with Jesus, a hope of an eternity spent with God, a hope whose root is found in the grave of Christ, the empty grave from which he has risen and from which we have the blessed assurance that we will rise as well. We have a, a past, present, future hope because of that. Some of us can see, I believe this, some of us can see easily the hope of the past, right? We can kind of look back and we can say, you know what, I, 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 now with my rose-colored glasses, my 2020 vision, I can look back and I can see, yeah, the, the, the hope came about. The hope was good, you know. Maybe even you give yourself hope while looking back. Like I was hopeful in that situation. Maybe you weren't actually hopeful in that situation, but you're looking back and you think, yeah, I'll, I'll give myself the credit there. I don't know. But we can look back and we can see that. Many of us can also lean into the future hope. I think some of us can lean into the future hope. We're confident in our standing with God through the blood of Jesus. We're hopeful for our place in heaven. But what seems to get many believers is the present hope. Nothing's going on right now. Where's, where's the hope at right now? 
It was the same way in the Bible. Let's continue on. Let's read a little bit in First Peter, new content in chapter uh, one, verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Has anyone in here ever heard of uh, firewalking? Yeah, like pretty much everybody. Firewalking, great. We're, we're, so we're going to have a demonstration up here this morning? <laughs> Kidding, I don't think the theater would be happy if we brought some burning coals in the house. But uh, firewalking is an ancient ritual. It's existed for thousands of years, practiced by different people groups around the world. It has roots in many different cultures. All right, it's, it's very, uh, it's super, super old tradition. The records of firewalking actually date back to 1200 B.C. when the first recorded firewalk took place in India uh, during, during the Iron Age. Uh, records show that there were two priests that actually firewalked and, and kind of were in competition with each other, like who can kind of go further and not get, not get burned. Such a guy thing to do. Um, Firewalking is used in healing ceremonies. Uh, there's uh, records of like a 17th century Jesuit priest uh, who once witnessed a healing firewalk among the North American Indians. He sent back word uh, to, his, uh, to his country, to his people, to his church, and said, hey, we, I saw this sick woman. She was walking through the fire, bare legs, bare feet, and she was not burned. She didn't even complain about heat. Uh, and so other cultures around the world have used firewalking rituals for initiation, to determine justice, uh, as displays of faith, and many other reasons. Uh, firewalking has been uh, in so many different countries, uh, not, not just North America, uh, but, but uh, continents, countries, everywhere. So South Asia had it, Africa had it, Europe had it, Central Asia, I mean really all over the place. Mediterranean, uh, North, uh, Polynesia, just to name a few. But the common thread of the firewalking rituals, I love it. the common thread that you see throughout, like no matter what they used it for, no matter what like the overall you know, idea behind it was, the common thread that we see throughout they all share this, is that firewalk itself demonstrates courage, faith, and strength. The ability to stand up to one's fears and to take on whatever challenges life sends forth. Do you understand that we're being refined? Do you understand that as believers we're being refined? Right, Malachi 3.3 says, we will sit, uh, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. If you are a believer here this morning, you are being refined more into the image of Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a, there's a big church word for that called sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus. That process can be a tough one. Refining precious metals is not a pretty process. There's fire involved, there's, there's sparks, there's loud noises, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. The process can be a tough one. James 1 tells us that we should have joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops this perseverance in us. And it's this perseverance that must complete us work so that we may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's an important part of our spiritual development, James tells us. Peter kind of echoes that. You see, the, the heat of suffering in your life reveals if your faith is genuine. That's kind of what he's talking about. Like, basically, we're going to put you to the fire a little bit. 
you're facing trials, you're kind of getting put to the fire just a little bit. We, we got to see if that faith is genuine. We want to see, see you just kind of stick it out in your hope and trust of Jesus Christ. More precious than anything or anyone in this life, more precious than any experience in this life, any financial wealth, any fame, any security in this life is born again faith that leads to a living hope. A living hope that, know, that knows that though tears are streaming now, laughter is coming tomorrow. When gold is tested by fire, it glows. I don't know this personally because I don't have gold, but when gold is tested by fire, it glows. It gets brighter. <clears throat> if you have a living hope, I believe your faith will glow and grow when the heat of trials come. It will glow brighter. I went through a big Imagine Dragons phase a while back. <laughs> if anybody knows that band. And, uh, and, but I do love one of the lyrics from one of their songs, a song called Roots. And uh, the, the refrain of the song, I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm not going to bless you with the beauty of my singing voice, but uh, I'll, I'll spare you from that. But the, the words, it says, I, I know it's got to go like this. I know hell will always come before you grow. And bef- before you grow, before you glow, before whatever, you're going to face some pretty tough stuff. Hope keeps you growing. Not cynical, angry, giving up, searching for meaning and and wishful thinking, hope so's, hope nots, generic spirituality. Those things aren't going to help you grow. Those things aren't going to help you to to glow brighter. The fire can further root your hope, though. It can make your hope more precious in that way. Why did God choose to refine us in this way? I don't know. Is, Is everything tough or difficult or frustrating or painful that happens to you part of God refining you? I don't know. I can't know that. What I can know is that God is working everything for my good and for his glory. What I can know is that I have blessed assurance in an eternal eternal life, even though the present right now seems difficult, even though the present right now feels like it's going up in flames. What I can know is that I have a living hope and a joy that is set before me. And though tears are flowing now, laughter is coming. Although I don't I don't know how God uses every tough situation in my life, in your life. I do know that God is sovereign and that nothing happens, nothing happens without his knowledge or permission. You understand that? The stars do not shine. The earth does not rotate. The tide does not come in and out without the express permission of God. The enemy might come up with a tragedy or the difficulty that you're facing or that you're about to face. But by the time it reaches us, it has become the cup that the Father has given us to drink. The enemy may have had his own evil desires and evil direction for what he's trying to bring about in your life. But he cannot go an inch beyond the authoritative counsel and foreknowledge of God. The weapon that, that they may hurt us and the fire may burn us, but they're all in the hands of the Redeemer. And we can rest assured in that. We can have hope because of that. All right, getting getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, uh, so let's go back and let's read those verses again. Um, In fact, this passage actually parallels the one that I just mentioned in James uh, chapter 1, so I want to kind of pull those up and look at them side by side for just a moment, and and we're going to see where those two kind of parallel each other. Uh, So in James it says, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, 
of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, uh, or other versions might say perseverance, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, we also read First Peter uh, 1, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, count it all joy, rejoice. All right. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been. Now, now James is kind of saying like you're going to face trials. It says when you face trials of many kinds, and 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 First Peter's kind of coming from it from the other angle and saying, hey, you've already faced trials. You're already going through some stuff. You're already being tortured. You're already losing your homes. You're already getting killed because of your faith. This is the things that were going on in the culture at the time. This is, this is just before the Neronian persecution, whenever, uh, whenever Emperor Nero came in and he decided that he wanted to, to make killing Christians just a blood sport. Right around that same time. You're going to meet, you're going to have trials of various kinds, it says in James. First Peter echoes that. You're going to be grieved by various trials. But you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness so that the tested genuineness of your faith you see how these line up how these just work together and the result is that you are perfect and complete lacking in nothing that's your goal that's where you're heading Peter says the result is praise and glory and honor through the revelation of Jesus Christ so just looking at verse 6 for a moment we face trials I think about <clears throat> I think about your life. Do you have any problem situations? Is there anything in your life that you're struggling with? Is there anything in your life that you're struggling to work through? Peter tells us that we will face problems, and, and to face them, we need to understand a few things about them. All right, trials are expected, first of all. At the end of this book in, in uh, 4.12, which obviously jumping way ahead, that'll be later on this summer, uh, as we walk through this entire book together over the summer. It says, uh, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to, happening to you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. It's coming. If it hasn't already, it's going to come. Don't, don't let it catch you off guard because these things are coming. We just looked at these other two passages. We can go back and read in Job or Daniel or the Chronicles or Kings or Exodus. Trials are to be expected. It's just it's just kind of a it's just a part of, of life. It's a part of living. Trials are to be expected. But in verse 6 it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I want you to take note of that word various. That word various right there. It literally is the word many colored. Many colored. There's not just one or two types of trials. They come in all shades and all colors, all sizes, all styles. Monday, you may be blue and discouraged. Tuesday, you may be, you may be green with envy. Wednesday, you may be yellow and afraid to witness. We associate those colors with those things. Our trials are multicolored. They don't just come in one form. All right, so we have to understand that, that, that trials are expected and trials are varied, but trials are also controlled. As I said, when that cup finally reaches you, it may be the enemy that started. It may be the enemy that, that, that initiated this trial that's going to come into your life. But when that cup actually reaches you, it's, it's God who has now spoken into that cup. It's now the cup that God wants to reach you at that point. 
It's now the cut that God's going to help you to get through. It's now the cut that God's going to use his supernatural abilities and powers to give you peace and comfort and joy and love through his unmatched, unparalleled love, mercy, and grace. Peter points out, uh, you, you, you may have to, had to suffer grief of all, in all kinds of trials. These people, they've, they've had to suffer a lot. You may have had to suffer a lot. But something that we're not going to be quick to accept is, is that sometimes something that, that we as a, as a society, as a church, as a people, are not quick to accept is that sometimes we need this refinement. Sometimes we need to go through times of trial and testing. It's for our good. God knows what he's doing. It's, it's easy for us to complain to God and try to get out of it, try to get out of going through the trial. God, take this trial away from me. To do like we said a few weeks ago, if you were here, we said we get so focused on getting out of tough situations that we fail to get anything out of tough situations. But we need to understand that often God allows the trials to come because they are actually for our good. Joy and pain. We don't usually equate those two together. But they come together in this life. Love from God, love of God in this life involves inexplicable joy and sometimes intolerable pain. Why? Why does that happen? It's, it's, so, it's so easy to say why. Like why, why, are, why are we hurting? But why do we have to have joy? Or why do we get to have joy? But why are we suffering? I think, I think this, church, both prove that we're not made of this world. We're not made for this world. In this life, the joy is not finally complete and satisfying. And at no point is it fully complete and satisfying, and the pain is not fully tolerable. Therefore, we need a living hope. That's, that's, we need something greater than ourselves, something outside of us. A greater day is coming, a final homecoming, where we will go to the world in which we were actually created for. That's the hope that we have ahead of us. That's why Peter writes this in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Living hope keeps our hearts in that world while our lives are in this one. All right, the living hope keeps our, our hearts in that world while our life is actually in this one. Focus on hope, church. Focus on the joy set before you. Living hope that's convinced that laughter is coming though tears are flowing how do you keep your heart in that world and in that truth you might ask by keeping your heart's eye on something that we read last week first peter chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 it says that our inheritance that is imperishable undefiled unfading kept in heaven for you by none other than god's own power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time focus on eternal things church how do we keep our heart focused on on the hope that's set before us on the joy that's set before us we focus on eternal things not the things of this world that will fade and go away but eternal things we focus on that hope Jump me back to verse 8 for a moment. Peter's talking to Christians that had never seen Christ, but they loved him nonetheless. All right, the, the verse reminds me every time of the conversation that, that, that's in this old uh, Tim Allen movie uh, called The Santa Claus. Anybody watch The Santa Claus? 
All right, cool. Uh, so Santa Claus is, is kind of old now, so I don't know if I'm dating my, myself or whatever, but uh, there's this little kid, Charlie. He's a little boy, and he believes his dad to be Santa. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing for you uh, if you haven't seen it. I mean, you've had 21 years, but... Um, so Charlie believes his, his dad, Santa, and, and his, his stepdad slash psychiatrist, a wonderful combination there, um, basically tells him, well, well, he supposedly goes all around the world. He's visited all these houses, and, and nobody's ever seen him. So don't you find that a little bit strange? And he says, I, I love this. He says, uh, his, his stepdad's name is Neil. He, tell, he tells Neil, he says, uh, Neil, have you ever seen a million bucks? You might remember that, that line. And Neil's like, well, no. And he says, well, just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because you can't see it. Every time I read this passage, uh, that, that always takes me back to that. That's what we're going to do, do a series later in the summer, at the end of the summer, called At the Movies. is something that we're looking forward to. And, uh, because uh, always, always, my mind always either goes to music or movies to, to kind of like equate things. So, but I always look back and I always think of this quote from this movie, uh, something innocent that a little kid said in a movie. But it reminds me of this. These people had not seen Jesus, but they know him. They had not spent time with him, but they love him. They had not sat under his teachings, but they worshiped him because they had faith in their Savior. Verse 9 says that it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we shall have salvation. That we should have salvation. Peter doesn't mention works or sacraments or, or merit or of any kind. Only the salvation of our souls through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it happens. That's how it comes about. Even Christ unseen. So finally this, on the note of salvation. I want to take a look at the final three verses this morning. It says this, concerning salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them uh, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All right, it's a long text. So let's break it down. Let's kind of just catch it verse by verse. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He reminds us, all right, he reminds the believers actually of his day of, of the diligent search and inquiry the Old Testament prophets made regarding salvation. All right, the Old Testament prophets, they, they, they knew God had revealed something to them. He had shown them a glimpse of what was to come. He had shown them a little bit about what was going to go down in the future. And so, so they were searching for and trying to figure out what, what all of this was going to be, how salvation was going to come about. These men uh, of the Old Testament were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to write prophecies concerning the coming of Christ and the salvation that he would bring. Now, keep in mind, these, these were only humans. They were recording the word of God. So I'm sure that they spent time pondering the depth of meaning in regard to particular passages that they were inspired to write. Like, I can only imagine that as they're writing these passages, as Isaiah is writing these passages, as Jeremiah is writing these passages down, as they're looking forward and foretelling the coming of Jesus Christ, that they're probably sitting there like, what did I just write? What does this mean? How does this piece together? How does this work? That's what he's saying. They're, they're inquiring about salvation, about what's to come. They're, they're wondering what's going on. 
They were intrigued by it, and even though they didn't fully understand their own writings, they wanted to grasp the eternal truths that they held. I think this is a big challenge for us today as well. Like the Old Testament prophets, there are certain doctrines and aspects of salvation that <coughs> we struggle to fully understand. We struggle, we, we struggle to get a good grasp of. And much of that must simply be received by faith and lived out through an assurance uh, of Jesus Christ. But we should also be students of the word. We should make it our practice to search the scriptures, to, to dive into the word, uh, to search it out, and to, to, to seek it daily, to try to find a better grasp, a deeper understanding of our faith and the salvation that we received. That's what these guys were doing. Although they never fully grasped the truth of, the, of Christ's coming, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, they sensed the urgency and the importance of the message. They understood that this was God's plan for redemption. Even though they were unsure how it all would actually eventually play out, they were faithful to record the word given from God and proclaim this word to all that would listen. They wanted to prepare coming generations for the appearance and redemptive work of Jesus. So verse 11, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating uh, when, he pre- when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Okay. So they had insight into Christ's coming, but they could not pinpoint an exact moment in time. All right, how frustrating is that for us as humans? That's probably the biggest thing is I'm talking about hope, is I'm talking about uh, a hope laid out before us, a joy laid out before us, a, a future where, where the suffering's in, where, where the tears turn to laughter. When I'm talking about that, you're probably thinking, but when? When is this going to happen? When am I going to experience this? You got to imagine these guys. They've been told that the single greatest moment in human history is coming. That their savior, their king, Jesus Christ is coming. And he's going to usher in a new kingdom. Man, you got to imagine they're they're ready. They want to know when, when is this happening? I got to put it in my Google calendar because this is going down and I don't want to miss it. They're ready. They're anxious. When is this going to happen? What person or time the spirit of Jesus in them? They want to know. We want to know. However, there was never, I don't believe there was any doubt that he would come. They, they, they trusted, they believed. In fact, I believe that the prophets lived in light of the Lord's coming. They sought to prepare themselves should his coming happen uh, any day now. Can you imagine just getting this word from God about the coming Savior and living in expectation for the greatest moment in human history? I think that parallels us today, though. See, it's different because they were waiting for the first coming of Jesus, but similarly because we are waiting for the second coming. All right, we live in a day and age of grace. All right, we're in, the, we're in the dispensation of the church age, the time between his glorious ascension and the time of his second coming. We're, we're in the middle of that somewhere. We don't know where on the spectrum. I put it in the middle. I don't know if it's there. It could be here. It could be here. I don't Who knows? We have no way of knowing when that moment will be, but rest assured Jesus is coming back again. All right, he could return this very day, maybe this very moment. I just, you know, I thought it'd be cool. He could come. He could come back right now. 
The truth is, is we just don't know. The matter of, of most importance is to be ready should he come today. Church, there is some urgency here. Uh, let's be faithful to share the gospel. If Jesus were to return today, so many that we know and love will be left behind, eternally separated from the grace and mercy of God. That's a scary thought. They didn't have every piece of the puzzle figured out, but they understood that Christ would suffer, Scripture says, for the sin of humanity and the glory would then follow. They knew God's eternal plan for the redemption of humanity would be fulfilled, bringing glory and honor to God through Christ. Now, we have the benefit of a biblical record. All right, Jesus did come as the word prophesied. He did suffer in our place. He bore our sins and, and, and the righteous judgment of God. He was buried in the tomb, but he rose triumphant in glorious resurrection life. He ascended back to the Father where he still intercedes on our behalf today. He will come again in great power and glory, establishing his kingdom here on earth and finally judging Satan, casting him into the lake of fire for eternity. Ours is not a lost cause or a hope-so situation. We serve the king of glory and he will return triumphantly as the lion of Judah. That's our living hope. Verse 12, let's finish up here. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, uh, things into which the angels long to look. Isn't this the grace of God and the gospel? Isn't it amazing? We were loved while we were unlovable. Knowing we could never earn or secure our, our own salvation, God made a way through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God made a way through the sacrifice of his son. Sin results in death. All were born in sin and all will die. We had no hope of life beyond the grave. We sang that song about running out of the grave because we had no life beyond the grave prior to Christ, but his resurrection was the first fruit of many to come. This message is older than time itself, and yet this truth continues to change lives and to redeem lost souls. This verse ends with such an interesting thought. And we're, we're almost done here. This verse ends with such a, a, an interesting thought. The gospel message and salvation are so wonderful and so amazing that the angels themselves desire to look into these great truths. Right? It says, things into which angels long to look at the very end of that passage. We find their involvement and interaction with humanity throughout Scripture. But salvation is beyond their ability to fully comprehend, I think. Because you see, Christ didn't die for angels. I know that sounds weird. They're celestial beings. They're, they, they, they live amongst and with God. But Christ didn't die for angels. He died for fallen humanity. Can you imagine the intense like interest and watchful eye of the angels as, as Christ laid aside the glories of heaven, took on a, a body of, of, of flesh, and came to this earth? How they must have rejoiced during the ministry of Jesus as he revealed himself as the, true, as the Christ, as the true Messiah. How they must have watched in agony as he bled and died on the cross. Probably ready to move at a moment's notice to sweep in and rescue if they needed to. And then they witnessed the triumphant resurrection and welcomed Jesus back to heaven following the ascension. Isn't it interesting to think about the angels being so intrigued by God's dealings with humanity and the great lengths he went to in order to secure our salvation? I think what's most poignant to me is that the angels find it interesting. 
the angels long to see it played out, see it in action. They long to they long to understand this idea of salvation. But so many people don't. The ones that that, that Christ actually died for. So many of us don't don't care. Don't try, don't bother. We don't want to seek out the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We don't want to seek out the inexplicable joy that can be experienced in knowing him. I want to pray for us. And then we're actually going to enter into a time of prayer uh, together as, as a church. So I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, then at the very end, I'm just going to, I'm going to pause and, uh, and then kind of give you some instruction on where we're going to go from there. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for me and for everyone in this room, for all people, for all humanity, for all time. There's nothing that we can do. There's no way we can earn it. There's no, there's no merit badge we have to get so that we could become a child of God. It happened because Jesus Christ came and died and then gave that freely to us. We can be covered by the blood of Christ, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can have a hope and a life eternal, a life spent with you. A life, a life with an inheritance that you're storing up, that you're protecting and guarding with your own power. A living hope. A hope that though tears are flowing now, laughter comes tomorrow. So God, I pray right now that if there's anyone in this room, anyone in this theater, this house of, of God, that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that salvation, doesn't have that living hope. There is no joy set before them. I pray that in these moments as we sing songs, as we pray a little bit more, God, that you would just press upon their soul, that you would move them to action. We pray for salvation. We pray for redemption. We pray for you to do what only you can do. So we're going to move into a time of prayer each and every Sunday, church. We, uh, we make sure if you've been coming for a while, you know this, but if, if you're newer than every, every Sunday, uh, we make sure that we have a time of prayer, of worship, and the word. And so uh, we've, we've jumped into the word. We've spent some time in worship. We're going to continue to worship, but we also want to spend some time in prayer. And so this morning, we're going to do something that I love to do, which is praying through scripture. So specifically, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and then as the Lord leads you, I, I want you just to pray. You can, you can do it by yourself. You can turn to your neighbor if you want. Sometimes we like, to, we like to group up. We like to partner up or pair off or whatever. Here, we believe that praying with each other is a beautiful thing, that the, the body of Christ coming together to pray for and with one another is, is, a, is a phenomenal thing. And so uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that, but if you'd rather just sit in your seat and kind of have an individual alone time of prayer, that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, 
just kind of figure that out <laughs> as, as you go. But uh, we're going to read through a couple of passages. We're going to go through Psalm 40, not all of it, but we're going to hit on a few things. And what's going to happen is I'm going to read a uh, text. It's also going to be on the screen behind me if you want to take a look at it as well. I'm going to read a text, and then I just want you to pray based off of that text. We're going to pray through Scripture. We're going to use Scripture as the basis for our prayers. And so that could mean a lot of things for you. That could mean maybe you want to pray uh, for somebody that came to mind while reading that Scripture. Maybe that means you want to pray for you, something specific to you. Maybe, maybe it talks about God being the Redeemer or God being the healer, and you just want to pray for healing in your life and redemption in the life of another. Maybe you want to do something like that. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to this. Uh, we're just asking right now the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word and then us to be able to pray in the same way. And so we're going to spend a few moments doing that. Again, you can pray with one another. You can partner up, group up, family huddle, whatever it is you want to do. If you want to grab a stranger uh, that's sitting there and ask them to pray with you, you can do that. Uh, but we want you just to have this time, and we're going to pray together for these next moments uh, before we continue to worship through song. So we're going to jump right in, Psalm 40. I'll read a passage, and then we'll pray, and then I'll uh, bring it back and read another passage, and then we'll pray again, and we'll kind of do that a couple of times. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> 